Good morning. I'm Pastor Corey, one of the pastors on staff here at Legacy. I'm so glad that you're here, whether in person or uh, online. So glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. This morning, we're starting a new series called What on Earth is Happening? We're going to go through the book of Mark on our, our Lenten journey, on our path to Easter. But why Mark and why this title? There are four, in your Bible, there are four Gospels, four bits of good news, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we chose Mark for a couple reasons. One, Mark, Mark's favorite word is immediately. Mark is like an action film, immediately, immediately, immediately. Everything's happening so fast, and it happens really quick. It moves fast. But the other reason why we picked it is because Mark tends to give the disciples uh, a picture, gives us a picture of them that's, that's probably closer to, to real life. A lot of times the disciples don't understand what's going on. So the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have, they describe Jesus' ministry a little bit differently. Picture, if you will, uh, an intersection on a street and coming to the four corners are two are four sets of two people. Each corner has got two people. You, picture you, and someone else, your spouse, your partner, your friend, your child, uh, a stranger. And two of you are walking towards the intersection. And each intersection has two people. And in the middle of the intersection, you hear the screech of tires. So if there's two in each corner, how many people does that make? Um, So how many does that make? Eight. All right. Very good. Some of you said the coffee's over there. That's eight, right? So you hear a screech of tires. All, look, all, all eight of you look up and you see the accident happen. And all, each of you are going to react differently depending on your personality, your upbringing, your training. Some of you may throw caution to the wind and run straight to the accident to check on people. Some of you may cower and find a spot to hide. All those reactions are fine and normal because they're just reactions. Now, there's one other view, and that is the police officer who just happened to be in the vehicle behind the accident. So there's nine views of this accident. The officer gets out, talks to all eight people. That's nine people that witnessed the accident. How many variations of the story are there going to be? Nine. Eighteen. <laughs> nine. <laughs> Let's just go with nine for now. I understand what you're saying with 18. I get it. That's right. Let's just, let's just run with nine to keep it simple. All right. So nine different variations. And so with each of the gospels, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be a different person's view of Jesus's ministry. And with Mark, Mark tends to be very realistic with the disciples. And it makes sense, right? Because the disciples are seeing Jesus for the first time. We've read it many, many times. We've heard the stories. If you've been going to church your entire life, you've heard all of these stories. You know what's going to happen, right? So the beginning of the story is Jesus' birth. What's the end? (laughs) In the Gospels, what's the end? (laughs) Right, Easter. You know know how the story is going to end. But for them, and in Mark, it's their first time. So they're confused. Now, we get confused sometimes in life. So we're going to walk along with them 
in their confusion. I have an example for you. So Becky was, uh, and <laughs> she's not here this morning, so. Uh, Becky went to UND to get her PhD in astrophysics. And so when she, would, uh, when she was doing that, I drove a truck <laughs> around town, Grand Forks, uh, during the day and at night, I was a youth pastor <laughs> at Wesley United Methodist Church. And so whenever there was a Christmas party with the UND astrophysics students, physics students, and physics professors, we spouses or partners were invited Right? So here I'm in a room with all of these very smart people. I mean, I live with a really smart person. She's brilliant. She's a genius. But now I'm in a room with, oh, their kids are smarter than me. And one of the professors, Dr. Schwalm, hi, if you're listening, uh, he couldn't, he was so smart, he couldn't do arithmetic. Think about that. He was so smart, he could only think in terms of calculus and trigonometry and higher math. Simple addition he couldn't do. That's how smart he was. So I'm in a room with all these smart people, and let's pretend this is me. I'm in a room with all these smart people, and all the people in that room who are so smart, how do I feel? I, Rita, I saw you go like this, about this big, right? How do I feel? Give me some words. Tiny? Tiny? Lost. Lost? No, I felt stupid. <laughs> I felt stupid. Right? But all of, the, all of the people there, they wouldn't say I was stupid. What would they say? I'm special. <laughs> you're not stupid. You're special. Right? That's what they would say. And that's because I had other skills. Like, there's no astrophysicist up here talking to you today because I'm special. No, because they have special gifts and being in front of people isn't one of them. Trust me, they're all introverts. Introverts, trust me. They all are. <laughs> but we struggle with our identity sometimes within groups of people because the group sometimes sets who we are. Now, my entire family, we struggle with weight. It's in our genes. We are, we are heavy people, and it's a struggle our entire lives. And because it's a struggle our entire lives, my mom struggled with her weight and always saw herself in the mirror as fat and ugly, even though she was beautiful, right? And so when a parent struggles like that, who else struggles? The child. The children do, too. So I struggle with that also. My family, we're just, we're big. We're big. Yeah, yeah. How many of you have been on a cruise? Quite a few of you. All right. So cru I love cruise ships because, like, nobody knows you, right? Nobody knows who you are on a cruise ship. And all those clothing that, that you would never wear to church, you can now wear on a, on a cruise ship, right? So you would, if we were to go to the pool together, I would have on basketball shorts and a T-shirt, with shoulder pads, so you couldn't actually see what's underneath here. But on a cruise ship, Speedos, baby. <laughs> because nobody knows who I am, right? So when I look in the mirror and I struggle, this is not an, this is not, this is not an illustration, this is real. So when I look in the mirror and I struggle with my size, because I do that all the time, and I go on the cruise ship, 
and I see guys that are bigger than me, how do I feel? Not so bad. Right? I'm like thinking, man, I'm fat. And then I see those guys out there in their Speedos, and they get the door actuates 10 minutes before they get there. I'm feeling not so bad. But then I get with my friends who are fit. I have a friend who walks their dog every day. And he's really fit. Oh, hey, Brandon, how are you? And he's really fit. And so when I get around, so how do I feel when, I, when you get around your fit friends? Huh? How do I feel when you get around my, my fit friends? Not so fit. I feel fat. I feel fat. So the context of who you're with within a social setting can set your identity. Can set your identity. If you're amongst really smart people, you don't feel so smart. You feel stupid. But then you get amongst your stupid friends, you know you have some. You feel really smart, right? So you get around your beautiful friends and you feel a little ugly. You get around your ugly friends and you know you have some. You're vain. You're not, you're not beautiful, you're vain. The context will set. And so it becomes confusing to know what our identity is, to know who we are, unless you're really, really, really comfortable with who you are as a person and know who you are in every situation, you're gonna struggle with this. And if I'm the only one struggling with this, then I'm sorry, this sermon is for me. But I got a feeling I'm not the only one. We're going to take a look at a time in the book of, of Mark where Jesus breaks all the rules on identity. He breaks all the rules on identity. He breaks down class walls, and he shakes some people up. And hopefully we can learn from this and change this narrative in our lives. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. Verses, I believe it's 13 through 17. Okay, we're going to go through it. We're going to go through it piece by piece. Remember, Mark is like immediate. Everything happens fast. So there's no details in between. So we've got to fill some of that stuff in. So I'll take that verse, beginning of it. Jesus went out again beside the sea, the Sea of Galilee, or Lake Gennesaret, depending on your version. And the whole crowd gathered around him. And he taught them. Next as he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector station. Okay, Levi, the son of Alphaeus, is sitting at the tax collector station. A tax collector in the time, uh, in Jesus' time, was someone who would have been uh, Jewish, would have been from that community, uh, a member of, of the community. And, but his job would have been to collect taxes on behalf of Rome, the, the occupying army of that area. So how well do you think Levi was liked? <laughs> Not very well, right? He was hated because he was a member of, the, of their community but elected and actually fought for that position to take their money. And he was paid off of the money that he took. So not only was he collecting money to pay for the soldiers and the government all to be there to occupy that area, but he was gaining his own payment 
off of their money. They were not liked. They were the lowest of low, and we'll see in a minute that that is, that is true. Uh, these people were the lowest of low, and Jesus is walking, and the people are gathering around him, but Levi is just sitting in his tax collecting booth, looking at all the crowds going, okay, who haven't I? Hmm, I see 10 of you over here that owe me a lot, and you know, you know, he's figuring all this stuff out. And then Jesus says to Levi, follow me. And he got up and followed. So you see Mark, what Mark does there? Jesus says, Levi, follow me. And Levi says, okay. And he gets up and he goes. Mark is very action-packed. Mark makes it sound like Levi just, if he was in the middle of someone giving him money, like this, and Jesus says, follow me. Levi pulls his hand from the money and walks away, leaving all of the taxes. I don't know. Maybe it did happen like that. Maybe it didn't. But it's very quick. Levi decides to follow Jesus immediately. He goes and he follows Jesus. This person that nobody likes, Jesus calls him out by name, invites him to follow him, and Levi comes and follows. Let's keep going. And he sat, whoop, did I miss it? Is that it? And he sat at dinner in Levi's house. So Jesus goes to Levi's house and they have a party. And many tax collectors and sinners. All right, did you catch that? Many tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors are below, so bottom feeder, they have their own category. They're not even valued enough to be called sinners. There's tax collectors and sinners. Sinners are better than tax collectors. That's how much Levi is valued by the people in the community. And here Jesus is having dinner with Levi and all of his friends and all of these sinners, Jesus and his disciples, and many uh, who followed him were there having dinner with Levi and his friends. You're thinking, big deal, they're having dinner. But in their culture, in Jesus' time, when a rabbi, a teacher like Jesus, will go to someone's house and have dinner with them, it was a sign of intimate acceptance. It was acceptance beyond just acknowledgement as a human being or acknowledgement uh, as an acquaintance, but it meant intimate friends, like besties, best friends. And because it was Jesus is this rabbi, there is an element of forgiveness and accepting them as they are. Jesus goes to this tax collector's house and there's other tax collectors and sinners and Jesus shows up and is basically saying, I love all you all, just as you are. Let's eat together. And this causes some problems because there, Jesus is changing the identity of the tax collectors and sinners who are there. He's now accepting them. They're maybe starting to think of themselves a little bit differently because Jesus, this rabbi, is coming in and saying, let's eat together. I accept you. And now another party comes to the door. Let's keep going. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw this, the scribes of the Pharisees, they're the, they're the ones that know they're the scholars. They're the ones that know the law really well, inside and out. 
They know all of the places where you do stuff wrong, and they know all the loopholes that they can crawl through to get away with it. That's how the scribes are. They're very, oh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Judgmental in their actions. And so the scribes or the Pharisees show up to the party. They crash it. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he, as in Jesus, was eating with sinners and tax collectors, again, tax collectors have their own tax bracket, I mean a bracket below sinners, they said, they said to his disciples, why is he, why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? Can you feel the judgment come through? Why is, why is your teacher eating with them? You see the disgust on their face? Why is he eating with them? With, with, those, with those sinners. So, you know, what, what's going through their mind? What label, what label are they putting on, on the tax collectors and sinners? Give me some words, some nice words. I'm sorry? Regrettable? One more time. Undesirable. Man, that's a long word. Undesirable. Ooh, outcast. I'm out of hands. I need a helper. My helper knows where he's at. I'm so glad you just know this. Like, I don't even have to, he's like, he's talking about me. Undesirable. What was the other one? Thank you, Vanna. Outcast. Ooh, that's a good word. Outcast, what else? What else we got? What are the? Insignificant. Insignificant. You're going to come up here if you say anything. <laughs> All right. Any other words? Unworthy. Unworthy. You'd think a pastor said that or something, right? All right, so at any time. So this is what the scribes of the Pharisees are thinking about all the sinners and other tax collectors in there. Any of these words, has anyone ever said this about you? Including the person in the mirror? Yes. Yes. I've had these things said about me, to me, whether it was by someone else or was somebody in the mirror saying each and every single one of those words. They're coming in and saying that about those people. They're confused. They don't understand why Jesus is doing this. And then Jesus comes and he hears what's happening and he responds. Let's keep going. When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, uh, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love this. I love this response because as I read it straight like that, it kind of doesn't make sense, does it, Jesus' response? Like, who's he really talking to? But what if I do it in a different voice? When Jesus heard this, he said, 
uh, well, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, hmm, I've come to call the right, uh, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So if you don't mind, I'm going to get on with it. I think Jesus is being a little snarky here, a little sarcastic. Because the scribes of the Pharisees need to hear and need Jesus' healing just as much as those who are sitting there. Let's flip the script. What words would Jesus use to describe the tax collectors, the sinners, and the scribes? Worthy. What else? Faithful. Very good. Faithful. Grateful. How about being nice to your friends? Being nice, yeah. I heard another one. Equal. How about being nice to your staff? Yeah. <laughs> Equal. This is quite a word. Do you think this word has as much, uh, uh, how do I want to say that without getting in trouble? Do you think that word is more powerful then or today? Any other words? What? Beloved. I love it. So Jesus is standing there and he's in this party and there's all these people around and they see themselves based upon who's there. The, the, the tax collectors and the sinners are looking at the scribes. They're feeling inadequate. They're feeling unloved. They're feeling less than. They're feeling like sinners and tax collectors. The scribes are feeling superior, self-righteous, indignant. They're jerks. And Jesus comes in and he changes the script. He flips everything. He looks at all of them and says, you are beloved. All of you. I have come here to bring healing to all of you. You are all beloved. And so the identity of each of those people there, every single one, is changed. Not from, it changed from sinner, tax collector, Pharisee, scribe, to child of God. Thank you, Vanna. Appreciate your help. Friends, <clears throat> give him a hand. Yes, Vanna, Vanna White. Helpful during the sermon. Friends, whatever room you walk into, no matter who's in there, whether you are in a crowd of people or it's just you and the mirror, the truth is, no matter what your identity tries to give you, no matter how you try to define yourself, this truth you can stand on. You are a beloved child of God. And Jesus breaks down every single barrier, every single thought that tries to tell you differently. This is the truth. Now, you know, one of the things I love about communion 
is that communion celebrates the time when Jesus and the disciples went together to the upper room, but it also is more encompassing than that. It encompasses more than just the upper room during that time. It encompasses every single meal Jesus had because now we find ourselves in that room trying to wrestle with these identities, whether it's fat or ugly or superior or whatever those identities are. We find ourselves struggling and Jesus waltzes in, invites us to the table and says, come eat with me, child of God. Forget about all those identities. Forget about those. I invite you here as a child of God, beloved, accepted, wanted, desired, beloved child of God. You are all welcome to this. You are all welcome to this. So as we prepare for communion, I need, and I'm gonna need some help. There's been a lot, it's very interactive today. And Vanna, you can just stay. I don't, I don't need your help there, but. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna count to three. I'm gonna say, ready, one, two, three. And after I get to three, I want you to say your name. Not my name, your name. Okay, ready? Ready, one, two, three. Oh, um, I think, did half of you leave? These lights are bright, so I can't see you anymore. Did half of you leave? Ready, one, two, three. Very good, all right. Let us enter into communion together. Jesus prepared a meal and he called out to, ready, one, two, three. Oh man. All right, let's try it again. Jesus prepared a meal and he invited, ready, one, two, three to join him in a meal as children of God. During the meal, he took a loaf of bread, he held it up and he broke it. And he said, every time you break bread together, remember my body broken for you. And then he took a cup and he lifted it up. And he said, every time you drink of this cup, remember my blood spilt Four, ready? One, two, three. Yes, for Tobias too. These were done for you. And as we enter into this special time, take a moment to thank God for calling you child of God, for calling your name desiring you and wanting you to be his.